Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome Solar Warrior. Thank you so much for lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource you've got. That's your time. If you're new here, just want to thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention. And I trust you'll agree it's time well spent. Today's entrepreneur believes deeply in the community aspect of business and the opportunity in every solar project. As you'll hear, the family and community ties of this family business are what make it unique and strong. Since co-founding Solar Landscape in 2012, Sean Keegan has been involved in every aspect of the business, design, product selection, installation, finance, legal, policy, marketing. There's very little he hasn't done. And as we heard back in episode 408, he was even able to convince his sister, Kate Gold, to lead their workforce development efforts, garnering her Solar Power World's Changemaker of the Year in 2021, no less. Sean and Kate grew up in New Jersey, and they're both passionate about building a business that gives back to local communities, creates meaningful careers, and supports their families for the long term. Today, you'll get to hear how it all came to be as they both chip in to unpack this story. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to the show. That's how you will know that you won't miss out on our twice-weekly content just like this. Of course, you can always check out more than 450 additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com or just scroll back in the podcast player that you found us in today. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warrior, thank you for taking the time to tune in. We are heading into a conversation today that I think is going to be really interesting for you when you think about how to build a culture, how to build a company around more than an idea for how to make money, but how to spend your time with people you like to spend time with and how to do something within the context of climate change or clean energy that in the end actually does make money and can give you and the people that work with or for you a sense of freedom and and purpose. I had the pleasure of meeting today's guest, Sean Keegan, through his sister, Kay Gold, who also was featured on Suncast last uh, last year in 2021, who was named 2021 Solar Changemaker by Solar Power World. And Sean really impressed me from the perspective of having founded a company that until I met Kate, I didn't know existed, despite what you're going to hear as a pretty remarkable growth story and and track record over a decade. And it just goes to show that we can be in this industry and consider ourselves veterans and still not know everyone and every story. And there's so much more to the many facets of how the solar industry is coming together. 
We're going to explore that and more. But today, let me introduce you to our guest, Sean Keegan of Solar Landscape. Sean, welcome to Suncast. Thanks, Nico. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule here in the beginning of 2022 that we can dive in as we explore in this conversation with you. We are going to also at a certain point probably benefit from the wisdom or counterpoint of your sister and illustrious past guest, Kate Gold. Kate, thank you for joining us again on the, on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll repeat, repeat that if you haven't heard Kate's story or at least understood what her role is, uh, we may repeat it here in, in snippets, but I would encourage you to go back and listen to Kate's episode from 2021. It was very insightful. She is, in fact, a change maker and doing some amazing things. She joined her brother's company, Solar Landscape, I'd say relatively recently in the tenure, uh, tenure of the company. And I'd like to get a sense, given that we have brother sister here on the pod today, Sean, what's the size of your family and how many of your like family close or not close are currently working within the company of solar landscape? <laughs> um, so I'm from a big family. I have five brothers and sisters and both of my sisters work at the company. Wow. Uh, my brothers don't. My mom helped with community solar uh, uh, application when we were doing some of our uh, training in high school. She's a former high school teacher. Oh, cool. Uh, my uncle, which is my mom's brother. He works here. Uh, my brother-in-law uh, also works for the company, mm-hmm. I think. And then, a, and then a lot of close friends who I grew up with. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into the close friends story. And you guys mm-hmm. have been around since 2012. And where do you spend most of your time as a company, like regionally? Sure. Yeah. So we're from central New Jersey, a town called mm-hmm. Asbury Park that Bruce Springsteen made famous. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I, the kind of the origin of the company is as an installer and as a construction company. So we mm-hmm. continue to employ right around 60 installers and electricians who actually nuts, you know, put the solar in. And so yeah. we try to work as close to home as we can. So we're focused on New Jersey, but we work in the extended tri-state. So we work from Massachusetts down to Maryland. Most of our work this, these days are in, is in Jersey. Given that part of the implicit story of solar landscape is that it's a family business in many ways. What was conversation like for you guys around the dinner table as children? Your mom was a teacher. Was there an entrepreneurial spirit? How did that first ignite within you? I mean, my mom, um, being a school teacher, my father was a police officer. So they're both sort of, they work municipal jobs. And my grandfather was a principal of a local school here. So we're really from an educator background and from, uh, you know, from the standpoint, I mean, we're all very left-leaning. So we, our, our conversations at the dinner table were all around, you know, were very progressive in nature. Um, so I was kind of instilled as, I think the environmental uh, environmentalist in me is I get from my mom, who feels very st- passionate about the future of the planet and the next generation. Um, she loves her kids and her grandkids, and she wants us to leave the world better than, than when we got here. Super accurate. I've thought about this question because I kind of knew it, it was coming. Our, so our, we, we are, we do come from a blue collar family and sort of a blue collar area, so to speak. And so our, our dad was a police officer and then he was a security guard for a local high school. And I think the, what we got from the dinner table, the way that we were sort of raised and looking back, how it does play into what we, like all of our strengths. Now he taught us a lot of loyalty. Like I feel like Sean gets a lot of the loyalty from 
our dads, both sides, really, it was just both big Irish Catholic families who believed in helping each other and being there for each other. So that plays into, I feel like how, how, and why Sean makes some of the decisions from the family side of things, but he was also very good at making decisions fast and reading people. And although he didn't go to college himself, he was, he was like pretty good at making us confident enough to, to think that, that nobody was ever better than us necessarily. Like we had some, we, we were sort of taught that it's okay to go for it. Like why not us kind of, and our mom is, was the complimented him very well and was like a dreamer is a, is a dreamer. And she would encourage us to find our voice. I feel like she was, she still is good at that. Like we were encouraged to take the lead. It wasn't like we were always told and taught that what they say goes, like they were open to our ideas and Sean more than my sister and I challenged the way things were and authority a little bit. And like, even from a really young age was sort of a decision maker pretty early on, I would say. Love it. So what I'm hearing are there were seeds early on of a CEO mindset. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like Sean was CEO, like when he, since he's probably three years old, honestly. (laughs) So we're going to talk a fair amount about the team you've assembled and why you decided to spend time on the problem you're solving for the last decade. But before we do that, I'd love to know what career path did you not go down, but always thought that you would? Well, I was in law school uh, for two years before I just started this company. Um, and I did so between my second and third year of law school. And then I went back and finished, but uh, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And I was particularly interested in criminal defense. And I thought I wanted to be a public defender and help those who I think need the most help. Doing any type of criminal defense work isn't always the most popular or, or it's pretty thankless work, frankly, but uh, I, I think it's really necessary. And I think people get rolled over in this country. So I think it's just a super important issue that I'm passionate about. And uh, but it was just too emotional for, for me personally. And then I saw solar as something else that had a, had, had a great sort of net impact and that I believed in and took the opportunity to, to pursue starting my own business. I, I always kind of knew I would be an entrepreneur of some, in some sense or have my own business. I never really wanted to work for anyone else. And um, if I was doing criminal defense, I, would, I was going to put out my own shingle. So gotcha. After working at the PD's office, I was sure of it. But then I found this. Well, tell me about that. Tell me about your first exposure to the solar industry and how you decided this is where you're going to hang your shingle, focus your career, the last decade of your of your life so far. So I had a roommate who was a friend I grew up with who worked in the solar industry and he was building for Sun Edison in and around like the Camden area. I think that their office was in the Camden or Trenton or something. But anyway, he lived with me in Philly while I was in law school and I got to know some of the other installers who he was working with. He started, he started hiring some of the guys we grew up with. And I was just curious about their work that they were doing. I, I was such a new industry at that time and such a major part of like infrastructure. I just saw it as this huge transition that would be taking place. Um, so that's why I decided to get into it. And also while I was in Colorado for, for undergrad at CU Boulder, I took some environmental classes or some, I should say like environmental studies classes and started getting more into uh, and started like getting familiar with the energy transition that was just starting at that time. And, and I guess the impact of, of CO2 on the environment. So I, I really thought that solar was uh, going to be one of the solutions that would, that would kind of lead us on, a, on the path forward. And that, that's why I, I jumped into the industries. I just, I thought it was a really cool opportunity to follow my passion and also um, being brand new. It's sort of, you can carve your own 
carve your own path or blaze your own tra- trail, so to speak. So that, um, well, I don't think that the path that you've carved is traditional candidly, because I would not expect someone who is a second year law student to go get a summer job slinging panels, as we say, you know, boots on the roof. But that's exactly what you did. Tell me about your first job in the industry and how that precipitated or sort of promulgated the next evolution where you, the eventual entrepreneur, knew, I can do this better. I'd love to hear both when you decided, I'm going to get like a blue collar summer job and how the conversation evolved that you said, me and my friends can do this way better. And then third, that it's going to tag on. I've heard you tell the story, so it'll all roll in together. How people that you've known since you were 10 years old ultimately became part of the tribe that you're building. So my my business partner is also my best friend growing up, is Corey Gross. And uh, his father owned a company called Bart's Solar Landscape. I don't know if you knew that, Nico. It's kind of funny story. But so I did. it. Yeah. All right. Man. So here. <laughs> Uh, so his dad uh, had a company called Bart Solar Landscape, and he was into solar thermal back in like the 80s and 90s, but also landscaping. So when I was in high school, I did some landscaping work for him. We would do cleanups or build retaining walls, do different landscaping things. Then when I was in during college, I would I, oh, I worked my way through college. So I put myself through college and always had a job. And then during law school, I would do an internship. And anytime I had weeks in between, I would get a job with, that's kind of the way it works in the, in the labor industry, especially if you're like in odd jobs, like a construction worker. If you got a week or two off, you could usually call your network and find a gig that makes you some extra money. And so that's kind of my very first solar job was before I even went to law school, while I was studying for the LSAT, I did an install on like a church in South Jersey or something. This is like 2009. Um, and I thought it was pretty cool. It was a new kind of, you know, we had never done solar PV before. And this was for Bart's? Actually, no, this was for Bart's good friend, Dave Sims, who started Ecological Systems, I think is the name of his company out of Walt. So his nephew, Ivan, I worked for for a bit. So this is, is one of those things where Corey's dad, that's what I mean. I called someone and then he knew someone who needed a construction. I feel like- and- Dude, I feel like your your whole life is a movie, right? It's like <laughs> there's got to be a TV show that that like somewhat accurately recreates the the life that you've enjoyed uh, because it does. I've I grew up in the deep south where family and connections are everything, and we often like to believe that it's not like it there where you know like it is where we are from. But every time I talk with you, I hear this this story that reinforces the the underlying tone or theme, which is connections are everything. And your business in particular, you've built around recognizing the value of those connections and the roots that you came from. And even you said your co-founder, your best friend since 10 years old. Yep. So then I was, I worked at Monmouth County Prosecutor's Office during a summer internship after my second year of law school. And I did so because it was a paid internship and usually the public defender's office doesn't pay you. So I got to get a paid internship and work on the other team, so to speak. If you're a, as a public defender, you don't really usually want to work as a prosecutor, but I went and did it and I hated it, but uh, no, no surprise there. And, uh, and I didn't like the, the way it kind of works is people with money, because, you know, are looking down at people who commit crimes and sending them to prison. So there's just this like obvious caste system on display in our judicial system. So I was just, I hated it. And I got a job as an installer for, I actually left a week early at Monmouth Prosecutor, so I had two weeks to be an installer at a farm 
in Pennsylvania, a solar farm. And the guy I was working for said, do you have any other friends who, do you have anybody else? We need laborers. And I was 23 or 24 and had a nice network of people who were all sort of figuring out their careers. And I, I hired like six of my good friends, including Corey. So Corey was in a band at that time. <laughs> What's the band's name? Six Day Bender. <laughs> Six Day Bender, right? Our general counsel was the guitar player and singer. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I love it. And these are all UVA grads. These are all really smart guys. And they played out of Charlottesville. And um, so good. But they also. Uh, <laughs> we've, got, we've got some listeners in Charlottesville who probably will recognize the name Six Day Bender at this point. We, we met a bank years later who knew Six Day Bender. And I think it helped us get a deal done. So it's, it's that's so cool. cool, right? They had a good little following. And so anyhow, so Corey moved up and started work with me in a field. And so did some of my other buddies from high school. And I loved it, was having a good time, loved the industry and was looking at going back to sit in a classroom and hear about uh, the statute of frauds. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to stick with this solar field thing. And then to my, uh, more to my dad's credit, actually, this is one of my favorite stories about him. He said, I won't use as colorful language as he used, but he basically said, I never really saw you being some kind of lawyer anyway. Mom <laughs> 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 included said, man, you finish your degree, finish your law school. And my dad was like, no, blaze your own, you know, do your own thing. If you think this is where you want to be doing and you're liking doing it, like you could always go back and finish, believe in yourself and go pursue this thing that you think you have an opportunity. And so the guy we were working for was kind of letting us run the jobs. We quickly became like in charge of, like I said, my partner also has electrical background. So he, he knew, knew his stuff. Um, I kind of, I had hired a bunch of people, so I kind of became a working foreman in a sense. And so we were running big jobs with little supervision. And I knew before I, I mean, within a week, I think of starting work there, I, this sounds kind of cocky, but it is what it is. I was like, I could do this better than him. And that's kind of been the story of the company is like, okay, like we're a builder. And then I look what the, the developer does and we say, well, we could do that better than them. And then we look at what the financier does and we say, we could do that better than them. And that's how we've grown to like vertically integrated is just believing in yourself and knowing that you could look at what I was yeah. doing and going, I could do that better or at least as good. And he's making more money. <laughs> that kind of tied into what I was saying before. Like that's the confidence that we, that that's, that's kind of the grassroots of our dinner table looking back. And what we got from that was like this perfect storm between the two of them of letting us or giving us the confidence to think that you, yeah, I could do that better than them. I can, why not me? You know? Yeah, it was cool. Well, Sean, I feel like we're starting to get into the good stuff. You are working for someone else. You have this entrepreneurial spirit and there are, you know, hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of people out there who believe they can do something better than their boss and they never get off their duff and do it. How do you take that realization and idea and actualize it into a business plan and then a business product? Walk me through how that unfolded for you, how you picked your early team, how you got your early clients, et cetera. Well, I was in the position of sort of managing these projects on behalf of the, the guy I was working for. And I was working with my best friend, Corey, who I think is like mechanically gifted, I'll say. He's just, we have sort of opposite skill sets in the sense that I'm a little more verbal and analytic, and then he's a little more physical, I guess, and, and really takes things together and sees them, sees the whole step. So I knew I wanted to work and partner with him. And I'd had various like uh, leaf raking and Christmas tree light businesses with him in high school and such. So we always had little side hustles, if you will. And then uh, that was the intent. He was going to go to tugboat school and become a boat captain. And instead he decided, I said, let's stick around, learn this trade. If things go good, we'll start our own business. Let's 
hire some people who we know that when we start our own business, will follow us. And they knew that from the jump. So we, we went to, you know, some really capable people who we knew growing up, uh, the McCarthy brothers in particular, and, and said, man, like, if, you know, ride this out with us. And then and when we get our first job, you know, we'll pay you a little more and you can come on our team kind of thing. And they did. And they, they, um, they still work for us today and they make good money and they're, they're like our best employees, frankly. So the whole thing was kind of about how do you get the first job? That's the challenge for any contractor. So that part was, it was difficult. So I didn't know how to go about that. So it was kind of in the first few months, I wasn't really trying to get a new job or get our own project or start our own company because we needed to learn the trade. So we hung in there and learned how to build. And then I was reading Napsat books or Googling solar articles. I'm like a news, became a news junkie about how solar, just how it worked um, and who was doing what. And I really got to, there's no blueprint on this. You got to kind of stick your nose in there to figure out the industry. Like who's who, who builds stuff, who sells stuff, who, how do they pay for it? Who's buying what? And, you know, learning the different players of the solar industry can be uh, somewhat confusing. So now I think it's a little more established, but especially back then it was really the wild west as like different companies were doing different things. So I was studying the industry as much as I could and then got a job working as a commission only salesperson for a commercial solar company. So I was working for a contractor by day, nuts and bolts, and then was working as a commission only salesperson sort of on the weekends or at night. And the person who hired me was commission only. So he didn't care what I did. And he knew that I worked at a construction company during the day. So he thought that that was cool. I was already in the solar industry. Um, I ended up getting us a, booking a few appointments for us with some really big clients. And then I was sort of watching my boss at the time do that and thinking, I could probably do this a bit better than he does. <laughs> but so that was that was sort of the how it came about. And then our very first job to his credit, and he's a great guy and I think was really good at what he did. I wouldn't take anything away from um, from Sunergy, from the company I worked at. But anyhow, he, he ended up, I pretty much explained to him what we were doing. He got to know me pretty well. And then he took a bit of a leap of faith. I said, man, we don't, you know, we have like no, no assets. We don't have anything. We're just me and Corey and a couple couple guys here. And you should let us install this big 600 kilowatt job in Northvale. Actually, I did not sell it. So he, it was Bruno's job. He, my boss had sold the job and he said, uh, you know, you work for a construction company. Why don't you get the construction company to bid on the plan set? And I said, well, actually my, you know, Bart's solar landscape would like to bid on this job. Um, and then, and then it, it came out, we didn't like pull one over on him. We just kind of, we just said, look, man, like, Corey's dad has an established company. He's got some tools and trucks we could borrow. We'll go install this whole thing. We know how to do it. Here's our license holder on the electrical side and whatnot. And so he took a leap of faith and, was, and, and gave us a massive job as our very first, uh, first crack at it. That's amazing. Thanks. And so am I intuiting properly that solar landscape is the, <laughs> is the, is the present version of Bart's solar landscape? So yeah, we, we never actually had any affiliation. That was, that was February of 2012 that we started the entity Solar Landscape LLC and did our first job. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, what we did, literally what we did was we borrowed an F-250 from like the 80s or something. So we borrowed one truck. That's all we ever got from Bart. <laughs> and Bart's license, I presume. Actually, no, we, we had a, a licensed electrician who we had been working with over the years, or that over the months, who came over and worked with us. And he put his electrical contracting license under our company name at that time. Very cool. So you pitched the idea that Bart Solar Landscape could do it, and then you put together your own business and did it. Sort of. Yes, that's exactly. Yeah, that's right. It does it. 
it maybe sounds a little shadier than it was. I had a great relationship with him and, and he knew what we were doing. I think he saw something in us and he believed in what we were doing. And then I think he thought I could get yeah. him more jobs too. I'd already hit him off a few big leads. And yeah. uh, so I think he thought it would help on both sides. And it did. We ended up building another job for him, which was successful. And I'm still friends with him. I've heard someone characterize being a CEO and, and a business person as more of a deal maker, right? It's, that's the, that's the key qualification of building businesses is learning how kind of the, the art of doing deals and putting them together. I'm curious if you have reflected on the value of your law school education in your, even though you ultimately didn't pursue a law career, but the value of that in your role as a CEO and a leader of the company, what do you think are some of the key areas that you leverage now as resources and tools or understanding as a CEO that you probably, that you feel like you gained directly from having that experience in law school? Well, so law school teaches you how to think. I've heard that before. And I think that that's true. I think that I definitely, even, even the LSAT for that matter, like just sort of how you reason things and the sort of logic you apply. It's hard to articulate, but I think law school uh, strengthened my brain muscle, if you will, you know, and and then for, and then I think more so than that for me personally, it was a time where I was confirmed that even sort of someone that you think like a position lawyers you think of as the, being these smart people are like a hard to come by you know like a difficult career to work in and I found while in law school that you know everyone's the same has the same nervous is nervous about what they're doing is isn't necessarily as confident as they might portray themselves in the courtroom or something or, and, and I just kind of found that I fit right in. Like I, I wasn't a fish out of water at all. I always saw myself as a bit of an outsider, like see boulders are privileged. There's a lot of people with a lot of money there. And I was out there like parking cars or working at restaurants to put myself through and was like, am I, what am, what is this? And then with the law school thing, I was kind of like, okay, actually when I sit down and apply myself on the books, it's like I, everyone you know, there's not this some big gap. So I think I just learned that, that like it just built up a ton of confidence and, you know, you can kind of approach and hold your own in a conversation and in, in, in an intellectual conversation with just about anybody. And so that was super helpful for, that's how it was most helpful for me. Yeah. That seems to bear witness to your ability to put the deals together, your ability to go out, not just externally and find clients, but internally and convince Bruno and others at Sunergy that you were capable of taking a, a ragtag team who had never really done a commercial solar project and, and pull, <laughs> pull it together. That continued to bear fruit for you as the company evolved. You've done some remarkable things. You know, I remember that you had said, and I want to talk a bit about your sort of funding strategy generally, but you're like financing, you funded your own PPAs. That alone like blows my mind. Before we get to that though, generally when you start a new business, Go get a client, you sort of self-fund that with cash flow, but construction is hard. How did you actually think about funding the business early on so that you could pay your friends and not have to worry about payroll month to month or week to week in a time where you don't have 600 kilowatt jobs dropping in your lap every day? That was a worry for seven years, how we would make payroll. So I th- <laughs> we're finally on the other side of that. But we've just about doubled in so- revenue every year for 10 years. So even when you make money, if you're putting it back into the company, it's like you never really have money. It's just going into the next project. But one thing that I'm really proud of, especially from a contracting background, is that we've never missed a payroll. 
We've never told an employee who worked all week for us and doesn't have upside that they're not getting paid this week. And you'd be surprised how often that happens in the construction trades where somebody gets dragged out another week or another month or whatever the BS. So Corey and I didn't always have any money and we were living in, you know, very uh, meager conditions for the first few years, we'll say. Like we, we were, you know, four people to a hotel room and we were doing jobs in Massachusetts and Maryland and like really, really grinding. But anyhow, so money wise, it's just, it's always been kind of seeing what's next and being willing to reinvest in the company. So just every dollar we had gotten for those first seven years sort of rolled back in. It's not like we're in clear like rolling in dough now. It's just, we're not, we're also not about making payroll. That's the only thing. <laughs> hey, you know, it's becoming commonplace to hear that energy storage is the key to deploying renewables at scale. But if you've tried to put storage on a commercial solar project ever, then you realize it's easier said than done until now. Look, I've seen many energy storage solutions for commercial buildings as a solar project developer in my 15 years in the industry, but Yada Energy's storage product just scratches that developer itch of fit, function, and ease to install. Yada's PV-coupled ecosystem of solar plus storage solutions integrates seamlessly right behind the solar panel. In fact, it elegantly replaces the need for a ballast as it nests right into the racking on a flat roof install. Even better, Yada's integrated storage technology can enable up to 60% more solar to be employed on commercial buildings. With commercial buildings consuming 35% of electricity, that means that Yada is finally helping business owners and solar installers alike make a serious dent in the commercial sector's massive carbon emissions. Yada Energy is poised to meet the growing demands of electrification by maximizing solar plus storage without taking up additional valuable commercial real estate for your customers. To find out how Yada Energy can bring storage to your CNI rooftop project, visit mysuncast.com forward slash Yada. That's Y-O-T-T-A. Yada Energy, an elegant and revolutionary approach to solar plus storage. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast. And you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry, Hexsolve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major US developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Sometimes it's hard for you as a founder to think about all of the early signs. So I'm going to bring... Kate in here because as your sister, I'm sure she watched on the sidelines wondering, what the hell are you doing? Kate, 
do you have i wonder if you have any stories about the early days and fun things that or or maybe even crazy things that you saw sean and the team doing <laughs> yeah. to just like fund this idea and get it off yeah i remember I, I forget where i was living at the time i think i was in pennsylvania for work and i remember coming home to our house and seeing a picture on our fridge like a, a newspaper clipping of sean and Corey dressed as elves they had like santa hats on and they were <laughs> they were um, I don't want to I never dressed as an elf. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. He would they were they were uh they were selling Christmas trees. That was like a little bit of a side hustle. And I remember like just thinking that was such a cool and unique beginning of these these two guys who were trying to for the early. So Sean, you could feel free to tell that story, but I love that one. Sean, how much did you guys make selling Christmas trees? Uh well, we sold <laughs> Okay, so what what happened was we, we found this. Uh, it was a new. A friend of a friend had a Christmas tree farm in Pennsylvania that he was like liquidating. Basically, he was getting ready to retire, and he said, "You if you come cut them down yourselves, you can have all these trees for like eight dollars a piece." No way. Yes. So me and Corey drove to Pennsylvania and spent two days cutting down Christmas trees. And when you go <laughs> with your <laughs> when you go with your, with your, you know, your uncle or whatever, when you go with your family, you go pick out one tree and they cut it down and you wrap it up on the roof. It's like cute. When you go cut down 500 trees, hard. <laughs> so like, like busted our chops to cut down all these trees. And then we brought them back to New Jersey and we put them up on a landscaping trailer on display. So we like leaned them sideways sort of, so they were upward facing. And then yeah. we drove around and played Christmas music and we would offer to, Sell you a tree for 50 bucks and then and set, it, set up. it up. Yeah. So we were getting 70 bucks a tree times 500 minus the $8 cost per tree and gas and truck rentals and stuff. So we made like 15 grand or something. And I remember uh, I was living in this, so they were in the kind of the middle of Pennsylvania and I was living, I happened to be living in the, uh, in Pennsylvania at the time too. And Sean called me and he said, Katie, do you need, a, I'm driving past your house. Do you need a Christmas tree? I said, yeah, sure. And, and Sean and Corey pulled up. Do you remember that? And you, yeah, you, you said, first, for, what'd you say? You were our first sale. How could I forget? Yeah. I love it. Charge me full it. price. That's <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. I, I heard someone recently say, you want to know who your real friends are. They're the, they're the folks who understand that you're in business to make money and they don't ask for discounts. Yeah. Yeah. That's great that you, that they charge and you paid full price. Sean, as you were hustling and figuring it out, one of the hard problems that everybody has to solve is what niche to focus on because you got to niche down, you got to focus or else you could just say yes to everything and mm -hmm folks don't recognize as entrepreneurs early on when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else, right? So how did you decide what niche to carve out and build a team around? Yeah, you asked really good questions. So <laughs> I have a good answer to this. Uh, so residential solar, we dabbled as a contractor. So when you build commercial, the biggest challenge is keeping everyone busy. So mm -hmm. your big jobs sort of come and go. And if you need to be on every job, like when you're a working foreman style company, you can't have many running at the same time or you sort of lose control. So it makes it even harder to balance the workflow because how do you time exactly that one stops and one starts as far as the projects, right? So it's so residential doesn't have that problem. You have like a steady flow of work. And we, at one point, I moved to Nyack, New York and built like 120 residential jobs over the course of like mm. almost a year. And found that for me, uh, there's, there was tons of opportunity. I was, I, I, 
I thought, you know, wow, this is a quicker way that we could get into development. Like we were just the builder for all those resi jobs, but man, like it was so easy to sell. It's like simple. So I thought I could run with this and be vertically integrated and do all this cool stuff for residential solar. But ultimately I, I wanted to focus on, on one, uh, on one market. And then even within that, when, when we got into commercial solar, we were you know, sort of chasing whatever, whatever came our way. So we built landfills and brownfields or, mm-hmm. or green fields. We did, we were a mechanical contractor. We did posts and racks only. We ran those big machines that put the racks in. So we were struggling to sort of find our niche. And then we found rooftop solar, mm-hmm. um, commercial rooftop solar, and the CNI market is sort of stagnant we're, at that time where residential and utility were sort of blowing up. CNI was sort of stagnant. And I said, like, what ended up happening was we, we were, I was looking at all these giant roofs. We get on top of them and it just made no sense in the world to me why we had to match the energy production to the consumption inside the building. It's like you got these wide open roofs. Why are we cutting down trees to put fields of solar when you've got warehouses that are that, you know, if, you go, if you're in New Jersey, it's all you see is warehouses. So I was getting on an airplane, flying a find different places and looking down and seeing all these wide open roof spaces. I said like, and I kind of thought this would be where we, if we can specialize in something, it should be roof. So we, we spent more time focused on best practices on these commercial roofs, how to like learning about the rubbers, the materials, yeah. uh, ages, how they degrade, just really getting expert on best practices on the roof and how to install. So that's how we we found our niche um, as large commercial roofs. We still do some, parking lots and landfills and stuff. We don't do green fields cause we don't cut down trees yeah. and waste land, but we do, we love big roofs. Yeah. And you, I think you hinted at something that you didn't quite unpack. And I want to encourage you to bring that to the forefront. Okay. You realized it made no sense. I'm going to embellish a little bit what you said that you had to match the energy consumption of the underlying business under these massive rooftops. Mm-hmm. How did that convert into a business plan for an, a niche that you now you know, really lean into very heavily, uh, namely community solar? So I think we, we spent some extra time hiring, researching, and planning on being flat roof, large flat roof specialists. Mm-hmm. So while an industry was sort of moving not as quickly as the other one, so there's more of an immediate opportunity in residential. I could go sell that tomorrow. Now I'm more vertically integrated. I'm doing more in the industry. I'm not just a builder. Yep. I'd go do this. But instead, we sort of sat back and said, let's just keep doing these big roofs. Let's sort of like spend the time and effort in anticipation of this market opening up. And then from being at CU Boulder and watching the community solar market sort of launch there in the early days, I was I was just fascinated by the concept. And I thought it was so cool. It tied in so many of the things I'm passionate about as far as like helping low to moderate income people and utilizing space that's not being utilized, like big roofs. So I, I we, we sort of made a conscious, we, we made a prediction, a pretty bold prediction that eventually we'd be able to rent these roofs. Eventually they'll take out these sort of regulatory hurdles and come up with a program. I, I wasn't necessarily calling it community solar and I didn't like write the laws on how New Jersey does it, but uh, I did, we were pretty outspoken and pretty, pretty involved in the process when New Jersey started talking about community solar. And we, we were just like, guys, this is what we've been waiting for. These are the roofs you want to use. Right. This is how we want to get this done. And that, and that's, that's where it went. Did you work that into your contract with your clients that you'd have access to their rooftop to expand and to offer that energy to others in, in some sort of financially mutually agreeable way? Not until there were rumors of community solar. So not even when they published. So when New Jersey was starting to think about it, we were starting to get options on rooftop. Mm-hmm. 
So it wasn't, they weren't in contracts. Like if we did a behind the meter system where we were just, yeah, you did, this is a solar podcast. If we did a behind the meter uh, yeah, system. We, we didn't have that much foresight to be like, let's also rent the rest of the roof. You know, I got no instances come to mind, but we were very early movers in risking our time of, for, and development uh, efforts to go lease rooftops before anybody was doing it. So I think we got to jump on the market. So I hinted at this a little earlier. And one of the things that impressed the shit out of me when I first interviewed you or ta- talked to you about this topic, I said, how did you, how did you think about packaging the financing or the, you know, the offer, the contract, who'd you partner with basically? Cause for those who are unfamiliar, if you're offering CNI predominantly as an installer, most installers don't have their own CFO or their own finance team that partner with someone else that offers a PPA. Why don't you tell me how you began to think about offering financing to your clients so that you could get more CNI and, and capture more of the deal? Sure. So we were at that time a builder. This is going back, say, six years ago, give or take. Now, 2015, we're building a lot of CNI projects as, a, as an installation contractor. We did a lot of work with Enter Solar, Safari, Dynamic, just mm-hmm. anybody, all the big names that are out there as, as EPCs or as developers were hiring us to, to build projects. So we decided we wanted to sell some of our own, and we thought a good place to start was going to be on the sort of smaller size commercial buildings on direct purchases. So we said, we don't have financing capabilities. Let's just go try to sell sort of under the radar some direct purchase systems. So we didn't want to piss off those who were hiring us as a builder by going after their clients. So we, we sort of, we did no marketing. We sort of kept the vague website and went under the radar and just made some cold calls on widget makers in New Jersey, right? So we start calling these folks up and then one came along and said, uh, I don't want to do this, but if, if you guys want to do a PPA, you know, we would always offer the PPA, but sort of talk them into or, or lean towards, you should own this yourself. And that's right. how they, if you can use the tax credit, that's what small business owners want to do anyway. So right. it worked for us. Um, and then the first guy said, we want a PPA. We were like, well, it was like a 200 KW or 150 KW system. We started doing the math on it and realized, and we'd been paying tax for a while now. We've been in business mm-hmm. making money for a couple of years. We said, okay, well, like we could just own a PPA ourselves. So our very first deal we paid for with cash mm-hmm. and we used the tax credit uh, to offset income from, um, from our construction business. And that went really well. So then next year we did two of those or three of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the next, uh, that kind of got us in the game of being an owner operator. So that's, that's pretty much the story there. How did you know how to structure an operating lease or, you know, these other sort of complicated structures where you, you, you're able to take advantage of the tax benefit? In this case, well, so <laughs> lawyers, I guess there's the legal background was helpful there, knowing enough to know what you don't know or whatever, yeah. right? Like, so I call, I've been an, a student of the industry. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I've known who you are for a long time. I mean, I was, I was at all the intersolars and SBIs and I, yeah. I just went to everything and talked to everyone I could because it's fascinating. So a lot of it I'd sort of extrapolated over the years. And then when it came time to push to shove, we, spent some money and got some people who specialize in the legal side of this. And and my message for all the listeners is, is it's, it's not that hard. Mm. <laughs> I, I think people, I think it's particularly those who have the money and want to be the financiers only will tell you how difficult their voodoo is. But at the end of the day, it's really not that hard. It's it's not. And, and so any aspiring developer, I encourage you to like own your own systems. Don't let, because someone promises big pockets from, Wall Street tell you that that they need to own the system. Not you can own them yourself. There's not it's not especially if you're a construction company. It's like 
who's going to be better at the O&M than the folks who put it in? <laughs> right? Like so our systems all operate above 100%. They have no issues. They all operate perfectly because we're, mm. we're all over it. I had a question that came up uh, in our in another call we had that I'm not sure if I asked you, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. What did the tax equity market teach you about growth? <laughs> oh, yeah, my least favorite part of the industry. Uh, <laughs> so the first couple deals, we were our tax equity, right? We, we used our own tax appetite to not pay tax. And we actually mm. overshot the landing a bit. So we carried some tax credits forward. So all of a sudden, then we, we did some more sizable projects and said, you know, let's work on selling these assets. Let's actually back up. So we, we've done that a couple of times where we would develop some a project and then sell it. What happens during that process is the price starts at X and ends at X minus like 25%. So we got really frustrated with the buyers and the moving of the retrading, they call it, and and, and moving these prices. So right. we said, you know what, let's just, let's try to figure out how to do this on our own. But every time we would approach tax equity, they would say, your balance sheet's not big enough mm. and your portfolio is not big enough. So a few million dollars in tax credits wasn't big enough, which completely blew my mind as like a, as a novice in this space. But that, that's their reality is whatever, yeah. transaction. Awesome, blah, blah, blah. They want to do bigger deals. And they're a large enough portfolio that was attractive to tax equity. And they didn't do the whole thing. They did like a piece of it to sort of get our feet wet. And we didn't necessarily get the, the best terms or the terms that we're getting today, but we we made it happen and got our first deal done. And then what the tax equity market, like what I learned was, you know, getting your seat at the table once you're there isn't all that mystifying. That's why I was right. harping on for. It's like, once you're doing it, these structures and, and set up, it's, it's, it's really not, it's definitely not rocket science. I mean, it's not, it's just not even that difficult. And so that's, that's where we are. We talked a little bit about community solar and by your admission, community solar effectively put you on the map. How do you get into offering a product to the end customer, to the market at the same time as having clients like Enter Solar and Safari and to your point, not pissing them off? Walk me through finding community solar and expanding into actually a customer facing brand while still serving as an EPC to the industry. So we stopped serving as an EPC to the industry about four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. So we haven't built for anybody but ourselves. We'll do projects that we think are going to lead to more projects. So if, and like, we'll do, if it's a directly a building owner, we'll do an EPC for them, but we don't work for the enters of the world. Like we don't work for solar developers anymore. There's just not enough, uh, we don't have the bandwidth. We there's just no, we just can't. So we do all our own stuff. The sort that like the evolution there was, we, we were able to support ourselves with all our own construct, all our own work, like able to support our construction business starting four or five years ago. And then with community solar, um, like I said, we just, we saw it as being right place, right time and exactly the market design that we needed. So we, we sort of went all in from a, a business development standpoint and that's when we hired Katie. But anyway, so, so that's when we hired Katie and a few others who were just focused on like community engagement, workforce development, a sort of call of the question on the uh, community solar application for New Jersey. I think one of the things that you've done, and we'll kick the ball here over to Kate to give her perspective. You've done a really, really good job, by my assessment, at least as an outsider, of building culture that matters and, and having retention of employees, acquiring employees, you know, re, you know, attracting them and retaining them is arguably one of the hardest things as an entrepreneur. Kate, as you've watched and with your background, as uh, for those who are unfamiliar, Kate spent a lot of time in placement and recruiting. 
as you watched solar landscape grow into a legitimate business with employees and revenue. Talk to me a bit about what you saw Sean and the team going through from a needs perspective around workforce development. I think that while I was working in recruitment, um, I was, I was actually a teacher before I got into recruiting and just, you know, Sean's my brother. So I love him and believe in him and, and Corey and and everything that they were doing. It was still at a distance from kind of what I was doing. We were work, we were in parallel worlds, but there was times when Sean and I would talk and I would be really impressed with what I was seeing. I think it took, um, community solar that like the launch of the actual form formalization of the program of community solar for the conversation to really get real about me joining and some other people joining and where the direction of the company was going to go. But I do think like kind of sort of where I think like there's some serendipity, I guess, is community solar's message or like it's ethos. It's like, it's the beginning of, of what it's about is community. And that lines up so well with, I think who solar landscape is, who Sean is, who Corey is like believing in your community, caring about the people that are around you, kind of making it a little bit smaller in a sense. That's who we are. It's who they are. I think the culture is, and the reason that there's such high retention is Sean and Corey are genuine. They always have been. People feel that and see that. I think in my background of employment, like I would say that that's almost the number one thing that the, the issue between an employee and a and an employer is that lack of of genuine caring. Sean and Corey care about people and their families and their lives, and I think people feel that and understand that and want to be part of it. It's an easy place to it's an easy place for for retention. I think kind of because of that, the culture is awesome. You know, you guys have a, a remarkable track record. I know it's over 100 megawatts of community solar projects, and you were just awarded a ton more. And a lot of that is actually a part of what you were brought in to help create at Solar Landscape. Kate, talk to me a little bit about the community solar pilot program and how Solar Landscape got a massive portion of that in New Jersey and the vision for not just Solar Landscape, but the work that you're doing and how it supports the solar industry moving forward. I called the call of the question before, but like the idea was the state published the rules of community solar and they put with it a, a scoring rubric of how projects would be awarded. And we knew it was going to be a competitive solicitation. And we looked at the rubric and we noticed that 20 of the 100 points were focused on what we considered like sort of soft factors being community engagement, workforce training, other benefits to the community. Mm-hmm. So everyone could go to a structural exam. Not everyone can find a group of uh, individuals who want to enter the solar industry and teach them how to how to do so. So when the application asked us to have a local community impact, we knew or we had a strong conviction that that would be the the difference maker in our application. That's what led to our success. And on the community engagement side, when when this application was published, that's exactly when we hired Katie because I've known her her whole life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got a lot of confidence in her ability to get things done and be sincere, be genuine. And then her recruiting background lent itself. So I'll let Katie tell the story of how we went about sort of executing on that side of the application. Without getting too lengthy in that, because that was our initial call was get, kind of going into detail of what we did and how we're still doing it. But the yeah, the call of the question was the community impact and the fact that we are local based and that we're owner operators of these systems Lended itself like lends itself very well to um, what we were trying to do with, within the communities. So we've made it our goal to we made a promise to train a certain amount of individuals based on the megamots that we were awarded, and we've done so, and we we, we continue to do so. We've um, in the last year, even just um, in 
community in, in round two in the second year, we've launched a, a program that's pretty cool called the Green Ambassador Program for our state. So it's specific to New Jersey and it includes so far, I think, I believe it's over 240 high school students coming from vocational programs or regular high schools who kind of come together on these calls that where we're the hosts of these webinars that are just educating them on what's happening in their community, in their towns for their future careers and making a difference that way. So that's just a small sample of something that we're, what we're doing. I think our installation background and then Katie's ability to fill classrooms with students, like you had, we had to recruit people who wanted to learn how to install. And so we had the know-how and the technical knowledge of how to install because it's all we've been doing for 10 years. And then Kate was able to partner with organizations who could help her find individuals to fill the seats which led to 200 plus individuals being trained on how to install solar panels. And most of what the communities that we focus on, I say this also, I, um, anytime we can, like new states that are doing community solar should really look at New Jersey as for the impacts that local communities are feeling as a result of the design of the program from New Jersey. So I love that. Incentivizing and award and rewarding. Totally. Action and and, and um, engagement, like developers like us, will get creative in how we can have that impact and and make a difference. And so, just just putting it out there is sort of part of the criteria or selection process. Having making an impact being part of the criteria is like was super smart on New Jersey's part, and that's that's how we've what's led to our success. I look forward to seeing how the the next tranche of fifty plus megawatts that you guys are going to build contributes uh, even more to New Jersey's legacy of helping build the community solar, the fourth vertical, as uh, it has been referred to. And, you know, I'll say here, something I've said in Kate's podcast and in numerous emails that I've sent on Kate's behalf, that if you're looking to add workforce development to your company, to your nonprofit, to your state, to your community college, you really have an asset, not just in the New Jersey community solar program, but in the solar landscape team and in the work that Katie's done, because they've really written a roadmap, a curriculum, they've built the whole thing. And it's something that can be partnered on to replicate it in other, in other places. And uh, so I would encourage you to, to go check the show notes and get, uh, get her contact information, reach out if you're looking, because I, I have seen how she, how eager she is to not just knowledge share, but to partner with others in, uh, in other states to, to help move this outside of just a New Jersey thing. Actually, I'd like to add to that also. Um, we we do sort of fly under the radar, at least that's sort of how we operated for the first, you know, nine years of our company's existence. And so we didn't, I wasn't really eager to do a podcast on it, but we, we did it because we really want to spread this message. We really want people to reach out to us and help the, from the workforce training side. And that's, that's not like a token thing. Like that's very mm-hmm. genuine. I, I think that what we're doing is having a real impact in people's lives and people who are historically disadvantaged are entering now the green economy. And we're, we're proud of what we've put forward so far. And the only way we can, the best way to amplify will be if in other states and other people looking to get involved, ask us and and we're an open book. We want to help. Sean, as we turn towards home base here, have a handful of questions, three or four that I'd like to see if I can eke out in the final minutes here before we close. Uh, As you think about, the lessons in your career and how you can pay it forward to other entrepreneurs. Are there any particular uh, lessons or takeaways that stand out for you from mentors or advice that you've been given that you pass along to other entrepreneurs? Just 
be confident and stick your nose in there and don't be scared to be in back. Don't be scared to ask questions. Be confident enough in yourself that if someone says something that you don't understand, just ask them to repeat it. And if you still don't get it, ask them again. And mm. I think that's the biggest mistake I see is people go like kind of glaze over um, when they get an answer they don't understand. And then people who really want to learn and, and have the confidence go, wait a minute, I'm smart. I should get that, but I don't. Can you please say that again? Man, that's then- so good. Nobody said that on the show yet. And I'm really thankful that you just said that because I've said to my coaching clients and to my kids that there are a handful of core life skills and that, that I want my kids to learn and that I hope that all of my employees and the, any collaborators and myself have had to learn it the hard way. It is what you just said. Be willing to admit you don't understand. Mm -hmm. Man, so powerful. Mm. It seems simple, but it's powerful. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time that you have to be here. I'd love to, as we wrap this with you and Kate, you guys have been phenomenal. Where can people best engage with you? Where do you all like to be found? And how can the Suncast audience help? If we're not at the beach or the bar. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Answer like a we are just send us an email sean at solar landscape or kate at solar landscape we make it easy because we want people to be in touch linkedin too i know you're you you're you'll promote this this will be on linkedin so people can absolutely reach us on linkedin well let's end today with a bold prediction sean what one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking what's in your crystal ball Less than 5% of roofs over 100,000 square feet have solar on them in New Jersey. Less than 4% of roofs over 100,000 square feet have solar on them. And I predict that that number will go up by a lot as long as we're still in business. <laughs> that, I mean, it's just, it's perfect under, underutilized space. And we're excited to see where that market trend continues. Sean Keegan is the co-founder and CEO and his sister, Kate Gold is the director of community engagement for their big family company, Solar Landscape, based out of New Jersey. It has been a really fun hour of conversation with you both. I look forward to meeting someday in person, and I'm really (laughs) grateful to have you on the show. Likewise, thank you. All right, Solar Warrior, what do you think? Is New Jersey destined to become a landmark solar market once again with the kind of growth that Sean and Kate are expecting and even forecasting? Thanks so much to you, Kate and Sean for joining us here as we celebrate the diversity in so many of our solar industry companies this Women's History Month. It's so wonderful to hear the brother-sister duo and how Sean's dream has grown to encompass both sisters and a plethora of other family and friends. And there's no contesting the impact of their efforts on the lives of their extended family and community. If you are eager to keep learning, well, you, my fellow Philomath, can find the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion, along with the social media links, book recommendations, and so much more on our blog at mysuncast.com. Click on the episodes tab. And hey, since you're already hopping online, won't you leave us a comment and maybe even a like on the post that we've made for this episode at LinkedIn? Want to push back on anything they said? Or perhaps just congratulate Sean and Kate for a job well done? Well, they and I would love to learn how this episode resonated with you. Who do you think needs to hear it today? Thanks once again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about their services and offers at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also where you can learn how you could partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions just like you twice a week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, solar warrior. 
It's half the battle.